president just said that there is no al qaeda presence in afghanistan that does not seem to be correct what what uh, we don't think is that we what we believe is that there isn't a uh, a presence that is significant enough to 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 merit a threat to our homeland as there was back on 9/11 20 years ago Welcome to another edition of the New Hampshire Journal Podcast. I am Michael Graham. This episode is a reminder of the unusually important role that New Hampshire plays in national politics. We have the head of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, Senator Rick Scott, who was in the state on Saturday. Part of a heritage action uh, program to talk about the Biden economic policy, but it's not hard to see that Senator Scott had some other things on his mind, like uh, a Republican U.S. Senate candidate and possibly a run for the White House. And then uh, President Donald Trump's first national security advisor, longtime uh, conservative pundit, uh, KT McFarland, is coming to New Hampshire for an event for the Seacoast Republican women. And she talks about what's going on in Afghanistan. It's all here on the podcast, made possible by this week's sponsor, GraniteStateTaxpayers.org and their upcoming summit on energy policy. The Granite State Taxpayers New Hampshire Energy Cost Summit will be on Thursday, August 26th. The event will feature Joe DeLeo, one of the co-founders of the Weather Channel, Mark Brown, the executive director of the Consumer Energy Alliance in New England, and uh, Representative Michael Voss, uh, who covers energy a lot in the legislature will be there as well. That's from the Granite State Taxpayers. It's their Energy Cost Summit on Thursday, August 26th. And you can get all the details by going to granitestatetaxpayers.org. And our thanks to uh, the Granite State Taxpayers for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. And so without any further ado, Senator Rick Scott was in New Hampshire talking about uh, Biden economic policy, but we also asked him about uh, events in Afghanistan as well. He had some pretty strong words for the president of the United States and also his wife, Ann Scott, who was the first lady of Florida and is now the wife of a U.S. senator. Hmm, sound familiar? She has a message for someone here in New Hampshire as well. Senator Rick Scott from Florida in New Hampshire, uh, helping out Heritage Action. I heard your speech, but how would you summarize your message today about uh, the Biden economic policy? What Biden's doing is just taking money out of your pocket. Um, he's doing it through Morton um, big tax increases, and he's already raised taxes on Uber drivers, DoorDash, drivers, people like that, but also uh, this inflation. I mean, look at gas prices up about a bucket gallon uh, around the country. Look at food prices up. Look at uh, meat prices up. Um, I mean, almost everything's up. You look at used trucks and cars up over 40% in a year. So he's just, I mean, Biden's just taking money out of your pocket and he doesn't care. I mean, he's helping his left-wing uh, billionaires. I mean, their assets are going up. So the rich are doing fine. It's the poor and people on fixed income are getting creamed by the Biden agenda. Um, what about people who say that the money has to be spent because of the emergency and, and we can handle this debt sometime in the future? Well, you can't do it in your own family. Uh, you've got to live within your means in your family. You have to do it in a business. We should be doing it in government because it's your money. Um, we can, you know, I, I balance the budget in Florida. We, I went through hurricanes. I balanced the budget. I went through a health care crisis. I balanced the budget. Uh, actually, I, I paid off a third of the state debt in my eight years, over $10 billion to that. So the federal government's got to live within its means, and it doesn't need to. It needs to stop raising our taxes and raise our, stop raising our cost of living. Now this is an economic event, but obviously the number one topic in American politics right now is what's happening in Afghanistan. So I have just two questions. One is, as a senator, you had 
data coming in about conditions. So when the Biden administration says, this is as good as you could do, this is the best, you know, Candide, it's the best of all possible worlds, is that, does that match the data you had that nobody knew? And then secondly, what's your general comment about where we are today? First off, Joe Biden never was willing to put on the uniform, but then when it goes attack, uh, the Afghani military uh, for their willingness uh, to defend their country. I think that's despicable what he's done. I think it's despicable that he left American citizens in harm's way um, and had no plan to, to, uh, to withdraw. I think none of us want to be in forever wars, but you have to take care of American citizens and we better take care of our allies. Uh, so I think uh, what Joe Biden's done is despicable. Um, I, do th I do believe uh, that when you look at uh, his not willingness to serve because uh, he doesn't show up, uh, that I think, uh, you know, we ought to consider the 25th Amendment. You know, I think it's interesting. Um, much was made of the fact that President, that soon one day President Donald Trump, when he was in this about the same age, had bone spurs and people mocked and said, oh, he couldn't go to Vietnam because of bone spurs. Joe Biden, soon after his battle with corn pop, uh, said, I have too much asthma to go to Vietnam. And he was repeatedly deferred. I'm just curious, why do you think that hasn't it seemed, I mean, once again, whether, however you feel about the two gentlemen, it's, there's very similar stories, and yet one is commonly known. Most people don't know that uh, President Biden dodged the draft. Um, I mean, look, um, the media wants to take care of Joe Biden, uh, and look, I feel sorry for him. I mean, um, I don't know why he doesn't want to show up, but look, he didn't, he's not showing up to take care of the border. Uh, look at what he had the opportunity to get rid of the dictatorship in Cuba. He didn't show up. Uh, he's not showing up on how to get rid of inflation. He's not showing up on anything other than, you know, uh, you know it seems like he's just on vacation. He's been on vacation since, he, since January 20th. So very quickly to, to wrap up, you mentioned that if New Hampshire re-elects Senator Maggie Hassan, they're really voting for, uh, for Bernie Sanders, who's the chairman of the Senate Budget Committee and Speaker, I mean, uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer. Uh, New Hampshire voters say, you know, she was our governor for two terms. We seem to like her. Why shouldn't we just vote with uh, somebody we've known for a while? Well, if I mean, if New Hampshire likes, you know, likes, you know, Bernie Sanders politics, Chuck Schumer's politics, then they should. That's who she is. She votes 100 percent of the time uh, with them. And she uh, she's all in for big taxes. She's in for uh, an unsecure border. She's in for teaching critical race theory. She's in for giving giving stimulus checks to murders and pedophiles and rapists. So if that's what New Hampshire um you know, believes in, I think they should elect her. I don't believe in, in the time I've been up here, the people I've talked to, I don't believe that's what New Hampshire believes, up, believes in. And so finally, the solution many people believe is to have Governor Chris Sununu run for Senate. I know that the NRSC has been working hard. There are rumors that there are some photos of him from spring break you're threatening to release if he won't, won't run and things like that. I want to ask the most important person in that conversation, uh, Mrs. Ann Scott. Uh, Valerie Sununu, it is said, is not on board. She's got concerns. They have kids in school. They, uh, uh, Chris Sununu has spent some time in D.C. as a teenager. He didn't like it a lot. You've been a first lady, and you're now the wife of U.S. Senator. What would you say to any spouse of anyone thinking about running for office about the challenges and the rewards? I think it's very rewarding. I love being first lady of Florida, but I think it's you have to... Um, structure the job around you and your family. My, and, and that can be done? Yes. Well, my kids were gone by the time I was first lady. Then we, uh, then, then I became a grandmother. But um, I think it's very doable. Thanks so much for your time. It's always a delight to talk to one of the smartest people I know about foreign policy, the lovely and talented KT McFarland. She was in the Trump administration, has been talking about American policy since what, since you were like nine years old, based on how long I've been seeing your name around, KT. 
Well, it started at 18. <laughs> and <laughs> you're coming up to Dr. Henry Kissinger in the, in the White House Situation Room while I was a freshman in college. Unbelievable. Well, we are thrilled that you're coming up uh, to New Hampshire to, uh, to uh, join us in the seacoast. Are you excited about coming to the Granite State? Well, look, who's not excited about coming to New Hampshire in August? It's probably the most beautiful place in the planet and the most beautiful months to be there. Um, but secondly, I'm really excited about seeing real people again. You know, we've all been far too long sort of in our lockdown and our little hovels. And so I'm really excited to, to not only talk to, but to hear from a lot of people about what's on their minds. And unfortunately, what's going on with American foreign policy, as delightful as New Hampshire is, it's on the opposite end of the spectrum. It is truly horrifying. We're speaking early on Friday, and already we have additional reports coming in of violence by the Taliban, reports of alleged massacres, of uh, people being uh, uh, hunted down by the Taliban as, uh, as enemies, while uh, the chaotic, I don't know, what it was a withdrawal, it was an evacuation, now it's just a disaster uh put i have two questions for you let's start with the big picture mm -hmm. put what this is doing to america as a global player in perspective and then secondly put what this says about the biden administration and their competency in perspective yeah i mean what i'm worried about is the long-range ramifications of this you know foreign policy is sort of like shark tank and if countries particular adversaries sense weakness and confusion and disarray, that's when they make their moves. That's when they decide they're gonna take advantage of the United States in other ways. And the perfect example of this is what China's done in the last, say, two or three days. They have taken pictures of the aircraft trying to leave Kabul airport with Afghans running and storming around it. And they, they flashed that all over the world. And they've said, look, this is America. America is now a nation in inevitable decline irreversible decline. They can't even uh, get their own elections organized. They've had real issues with COVID and their economy. And now look, for 20 years, they fought a ragtag militia in the most primitive part of the world and they couldn't even beat them. So what the Chinese are saying to our adversaries, but even and more importantly to our allies, is don't expect America to be the strong partner. If you wanna survive in the 21st century, you better make your peace with China now because the 21st century is China's century, not America's. And it's not idle words because they've sent this message particularly to Taiwan, which is a country they want to subsume inside of China. And we have historically said, no, no, Taiwan's an independent nation. So this is going to have real results, not just today, not just tomorrow, but I'm worried that it has real effect, um, you know, 10 years down the road. And what about the... Uh, uh what it says about how the Biden administration is actually handling the the details, the day in day, day in and day out work of foreign policy. Well, I mean, this Afghanistan is just shambolic, you know, and look, I'm not faulting only the Biden administration. I think there's a lot of blame to go around for 20 years. We've had American generals trotting up to Capitol Hill and saying, oh, look, we just need a few billion more dollars, just a couple thousand more troops, just another couple of months, maybe a year or two. We're going to have a modern Afghan army that's going to defeat everybody, and it's going to stand up on its own and defeat al-Qaeda, defeat al-Taliban, defeat everybody. And then at the same time, we had our political leaders, and I would put a lot of Republicans in that group too, but Republicans and Democrats who said, no, we're going to build a modern democracy in Afghanistan, you know, the most primitive, um, illiterate, corrupt 
country on the planet and they were going to turn that into, you know, I guess, Swiss Afghanistan or something, some modern democracy. And then finally, the intelligence community, they didn't get Al Qaeda right in the first place. They didn't see him coming. They didn't see this coming. And I think they missed an awful lot in between. But my biggest scorn is for Joe Biden. They knew this was coming. They knew that it would happen. The Trump administration had plans to evacuate Americans. We would have been all out of there by the sprint by this past spring, by April or May. And now we've got some to quote even the current Defense Department spokesman, Admiral Kirby, when he was asked on Thursday, you know, how many Americans are still in Afghanistan waiting to be evacuated? And he said, I don't know. Well, That's more really disturbing, terrifying. More disturbing, I think, is uh, Friday morning the restatement again of this artificial August 31st deadline uh, by the uh, White House spokesperson who keeps reiterating August 31st, August 31st. So are you saying that in Americans who are stuck in Afghanistan on Labor Day or just that's it? You know, they got to you know, call the UPS and change their mailing address. I mean, that's obviously nonsense, uh, KT. We, the United States, no matter who the president is, is not going to leave American citizens trapped in another country. I'm not so sure. I mean, yeah, you and I would have thought that, that no American should ever be left behind. But we now have probably at least 10,000, maybe as many as 30,000 Americans all over the country of Afghanistan. And it's a big country and it's a primitive country. It's not like you hop a bus to go to the Kabul airport. It's very difficult to move around. And each of the regions in Afghanistan are controlled by a different tribe, which may or may not decide to cooperate with this August 31st deadline. I've noticed that the Biden administration keeps now referring to, well, all the Americans who want to get out, want to get out. Hmm. Well, what if they can't make it to Kabul airport? You know, the other complete fiasco was that we controlled a number of air, major air bases in throughout Afghanistan, including the major one, Bagram Air Base. It's about an hour outside of Kabul. And they're very secure. They have multiple runways. Nobody was going to penetrate those. And we could have gotten American aircraft in and out of those with no problem. But the Biden administration in July turned those all over to the Taliban. The only place we can get Americans in and out of is a primitive third world airport, Kabul International Airport. I've flown into it many times. It's got one runway. It's not, it's ringed right now with Taliban militia fighters. Um, and you have to penetrate the Taliban militia fighters to get into the runway and to get into the airport, which is just a couple of cement rooms and to try to get on an aircraft. So I'm not so sure that the 10 to 30,000 Americans are going to make it there, but certainly not by August 31st. But uh, to keep Bagram under control would have meant to leave troops on the ground. And I think this is where, People have uh, legitimate confusion. Uh, you talked about the President Trump and when you were at the administration, this, the strategy of having all Americans out by May 1st and you know, doing it in a more orderly, not with the chaos, et cetera. But if you're going to draw down troops to 2,500, you're not going to have enough troops to cover Bagram and the uh, other sites like the um, embassy. At least that's what the smart people tell me. Um, so if you're going to have a teeny tiny footprint, doesn't that mean you have to give up big fat targets like Bagram? At the end of the day, yeah. But we should, why were we sending the fighters out first, the American military right. and leaving the civilians there? We now have, by the way, 5,000 combat forces in Kabul in Afghanistan to try to get out the, to try to evacuate the Americans. So I, I'm no longer worried about that. And my feeling all along was if we were going to leave air bases 
and and military equipment behind why not blow it up on our way out yeah. the door I, that that's a, that's i mean i i know nothing about the military I took the ASVAB test in high school and my guidance counselor <laughs> said that I am utterly unfit for military service of any kind. And uh, therefore I should join the Navy and I'm uh. kidding. A little joke, little joke. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, all of the, you know, the people I read are like one of the basic military strategies is if you have to leave behind materiel, you don't leave it. So it's functioning, you know, that kind of thing. But I want to, once again, I want to go back to uh, something I'm kind of getting at uh, before we lose you here very quickly. How do you reconcile the America first, let's get out because, you know, we're not going to win. All we can do is maintain in Afghanistan and, and lose blood and treasure with what you said earlier, which is China and Russia and others see American decline. Aren't the two choices either growing or contracting either your American greatness and you are spending blood and treasure to promote your interests and your ideas abroad and confront China, Russia, and, and the Islamist thugs, or you're just going to be in decline. And if we follow the natural trajectory of the Trump policy, China and Russia are going to wash over Europe anyway. So it, it, this is the this is the ugly, dumb, bloody way to get to the same point, which is what you and President Trump advocated, which is America in decline. No, I think, in fact, just the opposite. By getting out of Afghanistan and these hopeless, endless wars in the Middle East, we needed to be not with Afghanistan as much, but with the rest of the Middle East, we needed to be energy independent. So we no longer needed to be in the middle of their squabbles. We could get out of there. We had our own energy. We didn't need access to Middle East energy. So the Biden administration, they've shut that down. We no longer have the Keystone Pipeline from Canada. We no longer have fracking ability. We no longer have American energy independence, which we had just two years ago. But number two, you know, the opportunity cost of Afghanistan and these endless wars has meant that we've taken our eye off the ball of, of Asia and China. Somehow, all of a sudden, China is this major power. It has a major blue water Navy. It's got the largest military in the world, and it is making nuclear weapons at a very fast clip. So I don't think we can right now in, the, in America today, in the world today, I don't think we can afford to have American forces fighting endless wars all around the world and also have the kind of military and intelligence and and um, cyber and techn technological capabilities to stand up to China. If I've got to prioritize, which you have to do in foreign policy, like in life, my first priority is China. My second priority is China. My third priority is China. And so what's going to happen now in Afghanistan? Yes, we were going to have egg on our face no matter what. Obviously, it would have been a lot better if it wasn't this shambolic exit and my concern is as you go down the road, like a month from now, two months from now, what about the Americans who didn't get out? Are they being held hostage? Are there going to be assassination? You know, what goes on there? But more importantly, if we don't fix our economy, if we don't fix our technology so that we maintain the technological edge, China's going to have all that. I mean, China's goal is to replace the United States as this tech superpower within the decade. And then, yes, that guarantees America's inevitable and, and absolutely irreversible decline. That's why I want to put my resources in technology and building up the military in Asia, in naval capabilities in the South China Sea, and leave Afghanistan. Let, you know, what's going to happen in Afghanistan now? Like today, the Taliban look like they're all organized. They're all together. The Taliban isn't one group. It's about eight different tribal groups, all of whom didn't like America. Well, they're going to now start doing what they always do. They're going to fight with each other. And so you're going to have Iran is going to support the Taliban groups on the western part of Afghanistan and Herat province. Um, the Pakistanis on the east side of Afghanistan, they're going to support 
their Taliban groups on the east side. In the north, Russia is going to support the what are called the Northern Alliance tribes. Um, China wants in because they want the rare earth minerals and the resources in Afghanistan. So they'll support the central government. So I think you're going to see a multi-party civil war in Afghanistan. And I know it destabilizes the region, but I've got to say in a very cynical way, I'm not so unhappy if my adversaries are busy fighting each other. She was President Trump's first deputy national security advisor. She's the author of Revolution, Trump, Washington, and We the People. And you can see her at the uh, upcoming fundraiser for the New Hampshire Seacoast Republican Women on Saturday, August 28th. KT McFarland, thanks so much for joining us on the New Hampshire Journal podcast. A pleasure and an honor, and I'll see you in about two weeks. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please uh, rate it on iTunes, Google Play, all that good stuff, and share it with your friends. And if not getting the most important political newsletter in New Hampshire, you can sign up at nhjournal.com. You'll find our great reporting there and in the upper right-hand corner, a place to sign up for the newsletter. Thanks again for listening. I am Michael Graham. 